0: They tried to stop my shine, but I said, hold up. Y'all know how many hoes done tried to hold this hoe up? Tokyo Talk music. You know, you know. Look, do on me, shit. Without equity, bitch. You ain't playing rap in the club, she. Well then, fuck you, beloved I'm a black gay man, not a person of color. Because they ain't all browns down for the brothers. I'm a black gay man. Don't call me gay black. I know my history, and I ain't never going back. It's gay pride. Feel how you feel. It's gay pride. Feel how you feel, it's Gay Pride. Feel how you feel, it's Gay Pride. Feel how you feel. Hey, 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 everybody. How's everybody doing this week? Yes, it's back for another week of the good old Craig's Pop Life, a black gay excursion into pop culture. I'm your host, Craig Seymour. You know me. I've been writing about pop culture for more than 20 years now. Some of y'all probably ain't even been born that long. Uh, You can read some of my B-18, though, because I'm be cursing and shit, so... Yeah, B.B. have born by then time. Anyway, you can read some of my music writing at rnbeing.com. I'm also an author who has written a number of books. Uh, The biography, Luther, The Life and Longing of Luther Vandross. It is Black Music Month. If you go onto my good Twitter page, that's at Craig's Pop Life. Look, you know I keep good with the brand, y'all. At Craig's Pop Life. You can download the PDF of my biography, Luther, The Life and Longing of Luther Vandross. Absolutely. Absolutely for free. And that is my offering to Black Music Month. Um, But, shoot, you got some coins. You can go on Amazon and order my memoir about being a grad school stripper hoe. That's All I Could Bear, My Life in the Strip Clubs of Gay Washington, D.C. And you can also get my novel about three generations of black gay men looking for love. And that's Who's Your Daddy? And my forthcoming book, Special, The Life and Art of Janet Jackson coming soon. So anyway y'all um also in addition to that I have a website where you can find links for some of the songs that I discuss on the show. That's again easy to remember. It's craigspoplife.com. Y'all got to be about that brand and y'all be but, you want to be about a dollar, gotta be about that brand. And I have an Amazon shop where I put all the books that I discuss on this podcast and other important stuff. Um, and that's also easy to remember. Ain't nothing but Craig.com. I done told you it's a shop, so it's Craig. I'm sorry, Craig.com. It's Amazon. Look, I'm trying, I'm I'm on my Bezos shit now. Like, right, I act like I own the world. No, it's Amazon.com. Gotta give the little man some credit. Amazon.com slash shop. Like I said, I told y'all it's a shop. Amazon.com slash shop slash Craig's Pop Life. And there's a lot there. Like I add stuff, you know, so you get a lot lot of my um, – y'all know I be you, having hot food and hot spices, so I'm always adding some good hot food, hot sauces and stuff in that category. Um, there's a category kind of like an introduction to the work of black gay men. You know, a lot of the people that we've been talking about over the course of the podcast. So if you know somebody, you know – that's trying to get into that you can send them a link to the um list or maybe you know gift them something off of that because i know y'all be buying them gifts for them porn stars and stuff that have their amazon links in um their little thing hey buy for a porn star you know shit um buy for anybody who think you think needs it um and also this month that might be particularly interesting is i have some of my favorite gay novels um on there too, and you will be shocked to find that they're not all by black author, authors, um, but there are a lot of interesting um, sort of some pre-Stonewall books. Um, my favorite gay novel, um, one of my favorite novels of all is Ian um, e. Forrester's Morris. So all of that is right there on My Good Shop, and I appreciate your support as always. And another thing I'm going to have to ask you to do, um, please, because they say i been reading up on podcasts you know and they they say this do it now not later so as you know i'm in desperate need i appreciate all of y'all listening i see the analytics i know y'all are listening i know y'all listen from all from around the world i know y'all listen from the continent i'm so happy of that i know y'all listen from brazil y'all listening from canada y'all be listening and i really appreciate that but in order to make my um search rankings go up on the good um iTunes podcast i definitely need some more um just Rate it. You don't got to write no wrong to the station. I don't even think you got to write nothing. Just push five stars. I'd appreciate it. But push whatever you want. But, you know, just push the number of stars and just go on about your business. Subscribe and go on about your business. And like I said, if this is the last thing you ever want to hear from me or something, or maybe you just want – maybe weekly is too much. Maybe my personality is too much. Like, God damn, I can't deal with this person every goddamn week. But every now and then, I want to see what he's up to. Hey, you don't have to listen just because it sends you a notification that I have a new podcast. But the subscription itself definitely does help a brother out because it is very sort of lonely out here in these black, gay podcast streets. So I could really use the help. And I'm going to see if it helps asking you all at the beginning and the end because like, that, that was something that somebody told me to do. So anyway, it's um, Pride Month. And like I titled this, it's Pride Month and I Ain't Happy. And then I know people are like, well, why Craig can't be happy? Why Craig always got to be like that? Why can't, why he like that? You know, why he can't just be happy that we gay and we here and everything and we made strides since whatever. Just, you know, just chill. We're trying to enjoy. It's a gay pride. a summertime month, too. So we're trying to, to, you know, show off our little bodies. We've lost a little winter weight. We're trying to, you know. Have a little pool party to make and style. Why are you getting in the way with your little crazy attitude? And like I said, it's gay pride. Feel how you feel. Feel how you feel. I'm just talking about how I feel and how I feel, um, experience. Cause like I'll, I'll be 51 this year. You know, so I've been proud and I've been, you know, damn near over 30 years of pride. And so I have this kind of have built up. I've had, you know been kind of plugged in into what it represents and the symbolic, you know, brother and sisterhood, queerhood, whatever you want to say, and all of that kind of stuff. And this is just sort of reflections on me, on what I've seen and what I've gotten out of it. If you're 18 years old and you just, you know, clean the wax out of your ears for the first time to listen to this podcast, you know, because you're old enough to hear the explicit god. Well, then go get, get, go to your pride, buy your rainbow flag, and I hope you come home and don't know where none of your clothes are but you only got nothing but a smile on your face and and a sunburn on your ass, and I will be perfectly happy. That's fine. But these are just little my my things, um, the issues that I have, you know, as an old-ass man about um, some of these issues. And my problem fundamentally with this, did I just say fundament? My my problem fundamentally with the assumptions behind pride, um, the idea that, the all more we're together collected, you know, that we move in collective action, which is symbolically represented by the big-ass parade, right, Um, that will reach some kind of place where we all are free. Take it from me some, you know, and that we'll all be free to grab our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But I'm just not personally in any place to celebrate because, you know, like Aaliyah said, I got issues. You got issues. There are too many of these issues. We need a resolution. And I just don't see the resolution happening at the parade. That's just me. Things happen at different places. To me, the the resolution is not happening um, at the parade. And I have so many issues that, you know, I can't even fantasize about a time that – we will achieve any kind of meaningful equity that will allow us to even think about being something called a gay community. That's just me. Maybe I'm being negative, whatever. That's just me. Because there are a number of components to this. Um, first and foremost, y'all, this is just truthy, truth, truth. White gay men are still far more invested in being white than they are in committing to anti-racist practices that will lift us all up that's just the truth ruth you know and i have not seen the example of white gay men in mass putting their privilege aside to help um gay men that might be in other circumstances i just have not seen individuals sure Definitely. But I'm talking about as a group action and that being a priority for um, the group. I'd say never seen it, you know, and I'll read this Craig Harris quote, not just because he's named Craig. People think I'm like that, but I'm not, even though I think I'm about going to read something else by Craig later. But just forget that. But anyway, um, I think it was really summed up in this Craig Harris quote that I read last week where he said the feelings of violation experienced by many white gay men when encountering heterosexist discrimination are largely due to the innate belief that as a white man, their civil liberties are a guaranteed birthright. This unconscious illusion of supremacy promotes racism and misogyny misogyny, rather than eliciting empathy for victims of discrimination based on race or sex. I will read that again. The feelings of violation experienced by many white gay men When encountering heterosexist discrimination are largely due to the innate belief that they as white men, their civil liberties are a guaranteed birthright. This unconscious illusion of supremacy promotes racism and misogyny rather than eliciting empathy for victims of discrimination based on race and sex. And, you know, a perfect example of this is just what went down, Um, you know, a little bit earlier this week, where that bar, Progress Bar, you know, I used to go to that goddamn bar. I lived in, in Chicago for five-some years. Um, When they threatened, they sent out that little um text to everybody and threatened DJs um, to fire a DJ if they played hip-hop. And this was a show of exactly that privilege that Harris talks about because that was clearly – not showing empathy for victims of discrimination based upon race and sex, even if you were. I mean, the the um most people read that as saying niggas don't come, and we and we're not playing your nigga music, so there's no reason for niggas to be here. So whatever, just you know, find another nigga place to go. I mean, that's the way most people read it. But even if you don't read it that way, even if you read it more generously, it's kind of like. Okay, niggas, you can come, but we're not going to do anything to make you feel comfortable here, including having to make you listen to, you know, I don't know, Carly J. Repson. What's the name? Not Carly J. Repson. Carly Ray Jepson the whole night or something like that. You see what I mean? So it's not, it's about being, uh, this levels to this shit. It's like saying, get out, but also saying, oh, you can come in, but we're going to do everything we can not to make you feel comfortable. Um, and you know, as soon as I found out about it, you know me, I just got hot as fish grease. But see, I wasn't fucking around. See, everybody was like tweeting with them and talk going back and uh, uh, eh. I immediately started tweeting city council members in Chicago. I started tweeting the mayor, you know, just um retweeting the article about the situation. I got the Illinois Department of Human Rights. I was on the phone with the Chicago Department of Human Rights because the thing is we're in, we are we are empowered now in ways that we have not been in the past as Black gay men when we go into these liquefied spaces. Um, because a liquefied space needs to keep its liquefied ass in good with the government in order for the government to keep, um, you know, re-upping their liquor license. So we really do actually have power um, about these things now. So I just want us to utilize the power that we have, because these are not the days when, um, you know, Essex wrote. And I think I read this last week too. But he wrote this in 1993. Actually, there are T cells scattered all about me at doorways where I was denied entrance because I was a faggot or a nigger or too poor or too black. We don't have to deal with that. We y'all, we, you know, we can keep our T cells. Because um, we got resources. And what I would challenge all of you to do, even as – and especially the white allies that are listening, if you don't hear hip-hop in your queer-watering hole of choice, which I think you probably don't, okay, then make a point to send a polite Facebook or Twitter message to the manager of the club and just express your concern. To say, you know, hip-hop is very popular. I know we don't really hear it in the club um it would really be nice to have a more inclusive playlist or something like that that would be a very nice thing um to do like i said we can do it as black men allies can also do it and yes i have done it many many times i've been in people's face um you know like i want to hear this and and this and that um the only reason i haven't gotten louder in certain circumstances is not times of times i'm friends with the dj so they know who the troublemaker is so i don't want to get um you know, I don't want to go, go all into that. And then this—the thing that gets me—this, this thing I love to do, okay? Because this is what you will get, and um, and this is how you get back them. Because then they'll get back. Oh, well, that's great. Thanks for getting back to me. I love, no, I enjoy you. You know, I, know, I like that you enjoy the club. We welcome anybody. Blah, blah, blah. But as you know, we typically only play um pop music. And I'm like, oh. Oh, really? That is fantastic to hear. Because you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send you a link to Billboard's Top 40 today. Okay? And so if I send you a link to Billboard's Top 40 today, you're going to see Lil Nas X at number one. Okay? And some of the other hip-hop songs, like, uh, hip-hop acts like Post Malone. Post Malone got damn near 50,000 songs on the Top 40 all the time. So, you should, so if a gay club really playing pop music, you should just walk in the, the door and, like, The Post Malone should be the first five things you hear before you even hear the first um, Ariana song. You know, um, Sway Lee on the top 40. So where's the Sway Lee at? You know, where's the Young Thug at? Where's the J. Cole at? All these people in the top 40 on the Hot 100. Where's Travis Scott at? Um, What I would do to hear Sicko Mode at a gay club, I would go off. But um, where's Tyler, the creator at? Where's Meek Mill? He out of prison. Can he be in the club? Can we hear him in the club? Uh, Drake. Where's Drake at? He got his own plane. He can be here in minutes. You know what I'm saying? Let's play some Drake. A boogie with a hoodie. City Girls. Where are the City Girls at? Where's Young Miami? We know where JT is, unfortunately, but where's Young Miami? Uh, and Cardi got a million fucking songs, you know? Um, so, you know, and I write that kind of stuff and just say, you know, it will, it, well, I don't write that kind of stuff like I've been saying, but, you know, I write... The proper way of that and just say it would be nice to hear these, your establishments. And then you hit them with the, you know, good old white lady regards. You know, that's always a good way to get them. So I, I mean, I implore y'all to do this, that to just do, just do one of it, you know, cause I know these are things that it's easy, you know, you're drunk at the club and everything. And you're like, I wish they would play this. I wish they would play that. Then you get home, you're hungover, everything else, you know, you wish the world would just stop spinning and all that and you don't get around to it. But it can, it can be that following Tuesday. It can be whenever just, you know, we all procrastinate on our phones and on our social medias. So just think, you know, just go through the clubs in your area and just talk about this issue because it is an issue. Because like I said, it's not just about not checking 500 IDs for the black person to get in the club. But are you really making that space comfortable for that person? Are you really creating a multicultural space? And that certainly has to do with music. So... Just some food for thought. I'm not trying to preach. I'm just giving you my feel. These are the things that come up when I think about pride, and that makes it so I can't get into a space of being happy. It's not not saying I can't enjoy it and stuff like that, but happy to me means a whole nother level of something, and I can't get to that because of all this other stuff that I have to get through, and I'm just sharing that with y'all. Um The other thing that sour me on pride is just this whole person of color shit. And this is deep, and this is gonna have to go this is a much bigger conversation. I'm sure somebody could chop some of this up and maybe sound make me sound real foul and racist to some people and everything. And that's you know, it is what it is. It's just a conversation. Because just, you know, I'm a nineties bitch. So like in the nineties, the the term person of color was very useful, okay, because that was a way to for minorities to have some solidarity, to really show numbers, okay? So it really had a lot of um, power in talking to institutions and everything like that, and um, it was very useful. But like any other tool, you know, if you use the same hammer all the time – well, I don't – you know, I don't be hammering shit, but I assume if you use the same hammer all the time, that hammer at some point is going to get dull. If you use the same saw over and over and over again – I assume, I've never used a saw in my life, I assume that shit starts to um, get dull. So all I'm saying is I feel like the tool of saying people of color is really kind of have um, run its course because personally, increasingly, i just be seeing too many other brown people in this personal color thing that just do not show loyalty or support for black people. That's just real. That's just real. I think that a lot of people that are under the people of color rubric have much more access to white spaces, have much more access to assimilation, and then they had they will use the people of color thing, but then we still niggas just like we niggas to the white people, and um, I find this especially the case when it comes to American descendants of slave, American descendants of enslaved people like myself, you know. Um, we have a whole lot to talk about when it comes to talk about race, um reparations and when it comes to talk about um, the fact of even though the original sin of this country was slavery, the simple fact of all that has affected black people that may have come from other places um, ever since then. So, you know, there's a way in which American descendants of slaves Have to be treated differently, but this is also a way that society has to pay just for the way that it's, um, treated black people in general. So it's very, very complicated. And I ain't trying to get all into that. But, you know, and personally, I just have too many stories. You know, I will tell you all when I get drunk because I don't have no problem naming names. I just don't think it's appropriate today. But, you know, I've just been stabbed in the back by a lot of other so called, um, people of color. Because see, this way I was raised as a black person. Like, this one, one of my grandfathers. Um, he, you know, he's one of them lessoning grandfathers. My other grandfather, but they were both lessoning grandfathers. But he was more like, "Listen, boy, you're getting a lesson right now." Type of grandfather. And I know he was a, um, you know, he was like a tall, you know, um, kind of light skinned man. And he would always get. He he was great at working construction, and he would always get these jobs, and he would always be offered promotions. And I'd be like, and he'd always be telling me, oh, I was offered for a promotion, they were offering me this much money. I'd be like, Randy, why aren't you taking that promotion? You know how I many X-Men comic books I can get with that sh-. You know, I wouldn't say shit, but you know, why aren't you taking that promotion? And he would always explain to me that the only reason they wanted him in that higher position was because there were some black, other black people on the staff that they wanted to fire, and they didn't want to be the ones to fire them. So they will promote a black person, so then that black person would have to fire him. And he said that, to have that on his conscience, that is not worth the money. You know, and just lessons like that always stuck to me. And just the same way, like, I know a lot of y'all work in offices and things like that. If they're trying to get rid of, let's call her Angela. They're trying to get rid of Angela, the um, administrative assistant, for whatever reason. But they feel like just because you're another black person's office, they need to hear your complaint against Angela or something in order for them to fire Angela. They can't just own up their own anti-Angela-ness. Now, Angela could be getting on your goddamn nerves. Angela could be getting your, people don't fax no more, but Angela could be getting your mail all mixed up. Angela could be, you know, making your computer all kinds of ways not working. Angela could just be in the worst ever. But my thing is, you ain't firing Angela on something. I said, you don't like Angela, you find Angela. I don't let white people use me to go against other black people. You see what I'm saying? Um, but I found with this little people of color shit that that's not always the case. I've had situations where so-called people of color that I thought I was cool with say some real extra stuff behind my back or like, Maybe they weren't supporting something I was doing or something, and that's fine. Everybody has all their personal tastes, their personal opinions, but they, like, went at that little extra mile in front of a white person to dog me out. And that, to me, just made me realize, okay, so, like, the stuff my granddaddy taught me, the stuff the way that I was raised to think about um going through the world as a black man and how you don't use yourself as a tool of the system to oppress other black people – Everybody ain't raised the same. And a lot of people that are so-called in this big person of color, um, rubric, if you can call it that, aren't raised with those same values. So that was like, uh-uh, it, ps- ps- I know how to deal with black people. That's why I'm dealing with that way. I like, I can't trust a so-called person of color to have my back. And you know, you don't have to look nothing further than, um, What's that woman's name? Natasha Tines. That, um... Author that pulled that whole Beckyish I need to speak with a man or s- manager situation and complained that a Metro employee was minding her business, trying to get her a little quick McDonald's breakfast sandwich in before the start of her shift. We don't know how long, we don't know how long it's been since her last meal, we don't know how long her shift's been, be, you know, we don't know any information. But this woman was trying to, this so called person of color was trying to get this black woman fired just because she wanted, you know, an egg McMuffin. So it's that shit that um, I think this whole person of color thing really needs to be rethought. Which leads me to another reason why it's gay pride and I don't be happy about it. I don't think I have ever really had a conversation within the gay community about the economic gap between white gay men or just white gays and black gays. And what I mean by that is what um the economist Derek Hamilton recently said, which, you know, got people all sorts of turnt when I, um you know, and shook when I posted this on my Twitter feed. But economics, ec- economics, uh, economist Derek Hamilton recently said that if you're a head of a household and you're black and you've graduated from college, your family's wealth profile is lower than that of a white family where the head of the household dropped out of high school. Okay, I'm reading this again. I'm reading this for y'all in college. I'm reading those for those who's just out of college and paying their student loan. I'm reading those for y'all damn near my age and still paying college loans, okay? Okay. Um, If you're a head of a household and you're black and you graduated from college, your family's wealth profile is lower than that of a white family where the head of the household dropped out in high school. So how we coming together in this project, how we come in together is one under this oh yeah, we all like, you know, fucking same sex type situation. How we can't even afford the same lube. You know, now I know we'd be on that expensive those expensive lubes be on the top shelf. We on we, we can only afford the middle self lube. You know, so what kind of community can we have and what kind of collective pursuit of happiness can we even begin to think about without addressing these fundamental economic equalities, inequalities? And that's just something that I don't – I have never really heard be a part of the conversation. Then you add on top of that just – and that's all related to um the history of white supremacy in this country, which is all related to the fact that – um I feel that white gay men are more um, – and I'm just talking about gay, black gay men, white gay men because that's just more my experience. If if you're listening to the lesbian, trans, um, QIA+, if this applies to your experience, fine, and I'm not trying to exclude you at all. I just want to be specific about my experience. That's why I would not say that I feel like white gay men are generally more um, invested in their whiteness. Hey, it's cause that, that whiteness got a cash payout. That whiteness got a cash payout with annuities bigger than the mega millions. You hear me? So like, that's the thing. And until we can have those conversations about those economic disparities, no, I'm not getting on a motherfucker. I'm not getting on a float. Do you see what I'm saying? And then on top of that, you had the black, you had the black tax. And, um, if some of y'all don't know, maybe y'all do. A lot of y'all are paying, and even if you don't know it, that's that thing where you're the um, that's the Vanessa Williams and Soul Food character in the Soul Food movie. That's the when when you're the um person, maybe you're the one that got to go to college, maybe you're making more money than everybody else, but unlike your white colleagues who can just spend that all on themselves and just um do what they do, be fabulous and everything buy all the rainbow colored tank tank tops in the world, you know. You still need to be paying, you know, every, even if you don't be doing it, even if, like, there are a lot of people that are nice and, like, they're regularly supporting their family in certain ways and stuff like that. That's one type of black tax. There's that other black tax where you just sitting home, minding your own goddamn business, and you just get a call, oh, um, well, how you doing? I'm fine. Oh, yeah, you are, uh-huh, you still at, um, such and such place. Yeah, yeah, I'm still here. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, I like it over there. Yeah. I'm- yeah, me too. That's why I live here, you know. Um, well, I hate, to, I, I hate to um bring this by you, but I, uh, you know, I just got my electric bill and they are about to cut it off. And, you know, it's $1,500 because I have not really been able to get my money ready. to get the, And then you're just all in that conversation. And then usually they have like a niece or something that you're close to, so you don't want that person to go through that suffering. So then you're trying to scrounge up that kind of money. So there's the black tax that you can count on. And then there's that last minute black tax that just comes from nowhere and you don't even know. So again, it, unless we can talk about the economic conspiracies, because we can look alike. You know what I'm saying? Like a black gay man and a white gay man can be you know, same job, same this and that. Maybe they own similar condos and everything like that. But what's going on in the bank accounts and what's going on, you know, in the stocks and everything behind all that situation are way different. And we don't talk about it. So, you know, that's an issue that I have. Um and so much of this is connected because you think about – okay, so then you think about the economic um, disparity, right? So you think about, well, okay, so that obviously means that white people have more – white gay men have more disposable income. So then that obviously means that white gay men can afford to go to the club more, which is why the club won't play hip-hop music because a lot of the white gays don't want to hear the hip-hop music, and they're the ones that can afford to go to the club. See what I mean? So it just all gets connected, and all, and all, and we don't want to talk about those things. So yeah, you know – I'm glad I'm gay. I feel um, a certain kinship with other people who are gay. But happy? Yeah. We're going to have to work on that. You know what I mean? Um, and another thing that's really tra- – trap tra- tra- See, pride gets me all worked up. I can't even talk. Let me get me some Red Bull. Hold on, y'all. And another thing that's particularly problematic for me as a creative, and I know I should just overlook this shit, I know it don't matter, but just, you know, pride time, you just get all the fucking lists, you know, ooh, the most influential gay singers, the most influential gay writers, the most this, that, and that, and it's always the same old ass people. Definitely the same old ass black people. So it's going to be Sylvester because nobody's done the research to um, look up Valentino, the first gay artist ever signed to um, Motown Records. Nobody's going to look up the dynamic superiors that had a um, cross-dressing lead singer also on Motown. Shoo, shoo Shine. Look it up. Beautiful song written by Ashford and Simpson. So it's just the same old stuff. And it's like... The repetition becomes an erasure, right? Because the more you just see the same old person, you begin to think that there's nobody else there. Why do a search for somebody else if this person serves for the the superficial purpose of being a token in the situation? Why look for anything else? You know, just like it bothers me, you know, they throw a person of color writer. It's always going to be James Baldwin. It's always going to be Giovanni's Room. Nobody's going to take the time to do Giovanni's Room. is about two white people. You know what I mean? Like, he wrote a book just above my head deals with black men in same-sex relationships in the gospel community. Something that he knows well and something that is blackety-black-black. That never comes up. Because even when they want to put a black person in there, like James Baldwin, they want it to be all about them. You feel me? And so that's trauma. I mean, after, and again, that's what I'm saying. Maybe it's just because of my age or something like that. But after a while, you just really, really get sick of that. And you really, really have a, um, sort of, you know, sort of a traumatic, um, response to it. And, you know, and then they never put in, my friends who are so influential that I've been talking about week after week, like you never see the Joseph Beams and the Essex Temples who really set this contemporary black gay writing shit off. Um, you know, at one point in the life, the original collection of Joseph Beams was the number one gay book in the country. It was in 1980 something something. And nobody talked to people act like it never existed. And it's still in print, but people act like it never existed. And, um, to really kind of get this, this, to what I really, really, really mean, I'm going to read you um, something that Essex Semple read at Joseph Beam's funeral. This was um, part of the obit, and this is when Joe died of AIDS in 1988. He said, Joseph Beam has to be remembered for helping to lead us out of our silence. And by us, I mean black gay men who heretofore had not been speaking out through literature. I'm going to read that again. He has to be remembered for helping to lead us out of our silence. And by us, I mean black gay men who heretofore had not been speaking out through literature. That is what I've been talking about. That is so important because, yes, we had... James Baldwin. But James Baldwin was not creating a black gay identity through his work. James Baldwin was being an idiosyncratic artist that he was, the brilliant people that band that we all love him for. But he was not creating a context that other black gay men could easily follow. What Joseph and Essex were doing were creating a context for other Black gay men to follow and to be expre- and to express themselves in terms of literature and you know so that 's why all the stuff that you 're seeing today these black gay memoirs and all of that kind of stuff that is in the tradition of what joseph and um essex um set up and that 's why it really hurts my heart when even some of these writers they don 't know and i don't it's not necessarily like they should know, but it just hurts that. They don't see them, they don't know that they're a part of a tradition. Do you know what I mean? And like, at how proud a person like Joe, a person like Essex would be for them to, and these are people that were published in old gay presses, would be proud to see, you know, and I'm not naming no names, but like, you know, certain, um, Black gay writers now that maybe have gotten to the New York Times bestseller list and things like that, writing about black gay things. You know, Essex used to dream of being able to – he's like, you know, if I could just be a black gay voice, that would be taken seriously on issues of politics and popular culture and this and that. But I just don't think America's ready for that. When We know there are people out there now that are doing that, and to me, those are children of Essex, even if they don't know it. So – um yeah, and it's also personal to me, you know, because I can be a petty bitch sometimes too, and I'm just like, shit, if people, I mean, for as much as these these men did, if people ain't going to remember them when they passed, then people sure not going to remember my stuff, and so what's up? You know what I mean? I'm trying to, that. let's get this historical movement, because I want my flowers, you know, I guess I would like some flowers while I'm here, and I don't even fuck with flowers like that. I, you know, barely Scrape the money together to pay for stuff for my living, much less to be buying stuff that's going to die on site. But still, regardless, I would like some flowers while I'm here. But I definitely would like a flower, too, after I'm gone. And I'm like, if people are forgetting them, who's going to remember me? And that's real. And that's real for a creative because what you want... When you sit down and these lonely nights and you're writing stuff and there's nobody, you know, you don't know what you're writing it for and doing, but then it comes out and it seems to be making some kind of impact on people. What you then want is like, damn, don't forget it. Don't forget me because I did it for you because I'm recording this because not everybody has the time, the, um, you know to write down all their experiences. So I hope me writing down my experiences, and if you can see yourself in it, that's recording us. That's my love affair to us. Even though it's about me, I'm thinking about us. So, yeah, it does mean something to, um, you know, to be remembered um, after you're gone. But shit, like I said, I would not buy some flowers while I'm here too. So if I need to drop a little, um, what's that, 1-800-FLOOR or something like that, in one of my things, I can do that as well. Um, so, those are some of the reasons why gay pride really does not mean shit to me, and why I can't just be like people coming to me, happy pride. I could be like, fuck you, nigga. You know, and I don't say that, but like that's really the first thing that kind of comes to my mind. Be like, happy pride, be like, oh. I mean, I never know how to respond. So, Whatever. So if you see me, you happy, proud, me, and I act weird, all this is just the context. But um, like I said, this goes nothing against – this is not saying taking anything away from people that do – that are able to enjoy that moment. And it's not taking anything away from the strides that the gay um, liberation movement has gotten us and the rights that it's gotten us to this point. It has nothing to do with that. It's just saying that – In order for us to move forward, in order for us to feel really good about the direction in which we're going, um, some shit has to happen. There have to be some hard conversations, and I don't know that I can have that conversation on afloat with Go-Go Boys as much as I love Go-Go Boys. So now moving on to what we normally do, cha. I was planning to give y'all. All the scoopity doop doop on the new X Men movie, Dark Phoenix. Like, I was ready to just get in here and just because that is my one of my favorite stories of all time. Like, you know, in terms of like fantasy stories, epic stories, like Harry Potter, but definitely Dark Dark Phoenix. Because I read them shits, you know, um, the Claire, the Claremont Byrne comics. I read those as they came out. So that story unfolding over time was just like the most nail biting ass shit. Like, it was really. One of the first deeply emotional experiences I had with literature and with characters, you know, as a very young, like 10, 11, 12 years old. And it's just something that's never I've never forgotten. And I've um, gone back to those original comics several times, you know, whenever they're reissued in Hardback or whatever, you know, I get them. And I didn't really watch much of it just because – the comic did weird stuff, and I understand why I had to do that, because Saturday morning cartoons have to have certain tropes and whatever, and then they're also on a limited budget, so they can't have certain characters. So I get it, I get it. But um I even thought that the cartoon did a pretty good job of doing the Dark Phoenix saga. This bullshit, I told y'all I walk out of movies, right? I walked out of this shit after like 20 minutes and just got me some tacos from across the street, and it just, just nothing was right. Nothing was right. It's not. It would take. It is really not even worth. Nothing is right. If you have any investment in the story of Dark Phoenix, just don't even see it. I. It's just. It's that bad. Um. The actress can't play. Cause first of all, Jean to me is a woman. Woman. Like she's a grown woman. She in love with her man Scott Cyclops, and like, and then she has this little thing thing going on with Wolverine, and it's because of that. That makes her able to handle the Phoenix Force at first, but also for it to kind of overtake her, but also that she still has a link to that. You have to be a real grown woman to be a Phoenix. And so this little Game of Thrones, wherever they got her from, like, it just, it just does not work. And then Mystique's looking all oh, like she needs a, um, Dermal skin abrasion. I mean, I know she alien or whatever. I mean, I, I mean she a mutant and all, but still, she just needs to be taking care, better care of her skin. So it's just all of these things that I just can't even get into. I just would recommend not seeing it, and I think that's the first ever, thing I've ever recommended not seeing. Um, but what have I been watching that I um. Like okay, well you know I am a man of my word. You know how last week I was talking about I had never seen that um the life and death of Marsha Johnson, so I finally watched it. Um, I wish I could give it a stronger recommendation. It's it's kind of long ish for me, meaning it was like an hour and a half ish. But the thing is, it's mostly about the search for new clues about her cold case death. And you do find out basic facts about her life, but it's not like a documentary, ter- a documentary with like, okay, she did this and then she did this and then that because of that, she got to do this. And Lord, let me tell you what she did next. And you're not going to believe what she did after that. It's not one of them documentaries. It's more like, you know, in search of the person and stuff like that, which I can get into it sometimes, but then sometimes I just want to know, look, what, what did the person do? Just tell me whatever. And, um, But one thing I really did like about it was um, her friend Sylvia um, Rivera talked, and they were both two of the initial um, drag queens that helped set off the Stonewall Rebellion. And, you know, at one point, she's living on the street. She's living like in a tent city and stuff. And she's talking about how, you know, you still can have proud and be a street person, you know, that she – and there's no, she doesn't want help. She's doing what she wants to do, but she doesn't think that that's just, just because she likes to live on the street and she turns her tricks and she does her thing and whatever, whatever. She drinks her drinks. She still should be able to stand up there and make a statement about gay pride because she has sacrificed so much in the terms of being gay. And I thought that is so powerful and that we forget that not everybody wants the same motherfucking thing. Not everybody wants to get married. Not everybody wants this and that, and those sort of, um, and I understand it's hard to create a politics about that when you're trying to think about things like influencing Congress and lobbying and all that kind of stuff. I understand that it's hard to do that, but I also understand that it's not right to forget people, and it's not right to assume that everybody wants what you want, and it's not right not to do anything for the people that don't want what you want. So I just think those things are kind of important to um, keep in mind. Oh, yeah, and I finally watched another not Netflix um, documentary because you know how the things people on one instant into each other. So, you know, you basically have to, like, break your neck and wrestle ra- down the TV in order to get it to stop. But I finally watched The Two Killings of Sam Cooke, who's one of my favorite vocalists. Um, you know, I s- listen to Soul Stirr's, um, records all the time, like, Near My Heart to Thee, and, um, no, my favorite, I think, is, um, by the Stolsters. is If I Could Just Touch the hem of His Garment, that, I'm getting tears in my eyes just thinking about it. I'm gonna have to play it as soon as it's over, but, um, now, the documentary on him makes me go back on all the stuff that I was talking, all my loud talk, my mouth about last week, and somebody, one of my favorite people, um, that's been following me for a long time, um, even called me on and said, Craig, now you know good and well they were trying to say that Teddy Pendergrass was going into an AC career, and here you're talking about whether or not he can moonwalk. And I think that that is a legitimate criticism that maybe I took it a little too much. But I do feel like even if Teddy was going to be viable as AC, because a lot of times I feel like 80s AC was like the ballads that the pop artists released would just chart higher on AC and then they would be on there a long time. But I still think that whole transition to the video age would um, have had to have – would have been a challenge. But like I said, maybe I overdid it a little bit last week. But the Sam Cooke documentary is one thing that I could not um, overestimate because of just the potential that Sam Cooke had when he died. I mean Sam Cooke was set up to be Jay-Z in the game before there was Jay-Z. I mean, he had his own publishing company, Black Own. He had his own record label where he signed acts like the Valentinos with Bobby Womack. I mean, my guy was set. And even on top of all that, it's like he was ready for the future. That's the thing that I think um, bothers me in some music documentaries. Like you look when the tragedy happens and you look at that person and it's like, was that person ready for the future? Was that person a sign of the past or was he ready for the future? And with Sam Cooke... Coming in the mid 60s, I mean, he had made the decision to stop, you know, doing anything with his hair and he was wearing his hair natural. His mother didn't like it now when she saw him on TV like that, but he liked it. And that, you know, so he wears short afro and that really started the trend of black acts not doing the process and stuff. And and so Sam would have been so, um, he died in, I can't believe I didn't put this somewhere. 64. So, you know, he would have been so ready for the 70s and the late 60s and the Black and Beautiful movement. He would have already had the hair. Shit. So he wouldn't have to get ready because he was stayed ready. You know what I mean? So that's why, I mean, this is a person that I think really did have... Tons of potential. And then also he was already beginning to write protest songs like A Change Is Gonna Come. And, you know, the whole music world started to go around protest songs. So he was already there. You know, it was in the 70s until Marvin gave us What's Going On, but um A Change Is Gonna Come, which unfortunately wasn't released until after his, his death. That was in 64. So I just feel like he would have been there and just been really to take us to new places um had he not died. But then, of course, you know, he died in a shot dead in a motel naked, which are bizarre circumstances, but in a way, they're only bizarre circumstances because he, um, you know, the other fact that he's a black man, they, they weren't really bizarre situations because he's a black man. And as black men, I feel like as black people. Anything can happen to us for any time, and whoever our survivors are, are just supposed to believe it, whether it's Sandra Bland, whether it's whatever. It's like, oh, yeah, this happened, and that's all there is on it, and whatever, and we just have to kind of blindly accept it. So that's what happened, but I really feel um... – and you know, another thing, Dion Warwick's in the Sam Cooke documentary – And her comments about Beyoncé really were put into a little bit different context for me after watching it. Because her thing about whether or not Beyoncé is a legend and it would take her a longer time to be a legend. with now, watching the Sam Cooke documentary, I'm thinking, this woman knew Sam Cooke. And Sam Cooke actually got her out of some um, tough situations. Because one time, they were touring down south. And Dion was new. And, you know, Dion's from New Jersey, so she got lip. And so this woman wouldn't serve them in this Dinah county. So you know, so the one said something like, um, "Well, what can I do with your order?" And Dion was like, "Well, you can stick it up your ass." So because you know Dion, Dion Street Dion's like Whitney. You know, they will say what they say. So Sam had to kind of sneak her out of town and do all this and do all that, and then um, it's so that you know I can see how that kind of direct action would have an effect on how um. Dion would think of what a legend was in a way that Beyonce hasn't done because she's never had to do something like that. And thank God she's never had to do something like that. But I can see how in Dion's mind, like if you haven't, you know, been on the chitlin circuit and Whitey was on your ass and you couldn't eat and all this kind of stuff, I can understand why to Dion, that is what a legend makes. Um So then, of course, I... Experience every emotion under the sun, joy, anger, outrage, empathy, sadness, go on and go on and go on, while watching the great Ava DuVernay's masterful miniseries, When They See Us. You know, it's one of those things that I expected it to be fantastic, and it really just um, exceeded my highest expectations. Um, it's gotten some criticism in some corners for being quote-unquote trauma porn. But first of all, it's not even that graphic. So people are doing too much with that. But also, I mean, this shit actually happened to these men. By our society. Happened to men, in my case, in the case of black men, of men that look just like us and could have easily been us. And if they couldn't have easily been us, they could have been our fathers, nephews, nieces, aunts. I mean, not aunts, uncles. You know, they could have been all those people. So it's like, If these five men could go through all that, I think we owe it to them to look at it even when it hurts. Because I feel like if we don't look at it even when it hurts and we get that anger up, like, goddamn, sometimes it's hard to know what to do with the anger in the moment. And that's why I think people find it so unsettling to watch. But we need that anger to make sure that we can get fired up. If it happened, if and when it happens again. So I think it's important to look. And I think it's important to see what happens. And yeah, if you're angry about it, hold that anger because you're going to need it one day. Um, And lastly, I just have to let you know about another. This is my new must watch. Now remember how last week I was telling y'all that I didn't know how I was going to make it through the summer. Because I usually wake up around 10 o'clock. A.M. that is. I know y'all were trying to think that I'm... Vampire the game, but no, like 10 a.m. And the first thing I usually do is watch Wendy's Hot Topics and drink me a Diet Coke. Okay, well, ain't no Wendy's Hot Topics all summer long, whatever, they're old topics. Um, And so I was wondering what I was going to do for my 10 o'clock hour. Well, lo and behold, um, my Diet Coke got new company because BET has started a web show called Black Coffee. And you don't watch it on the TV. You watch it on the YouTube or the Facebook and it's a three-person talk show um panel featuring moderator and Luther fan extraordinaire, Mark Lamont Hill, entertainment journalist Gia Peppers, shout out she's from DC, so you know I'm you know, have to shout out to somebody from DC, and cultural commentator Jameer Pond. I hope that's his last name is Pond. That's what it looked like on his um on his Twitter page. But anyway, they get into talking about all types of things from the serious. You know, they had Tarana Burke talking about um, the new national abortion battles and what those means for black women health. Um, anyway, then they get really serious talking about like what happens when Beyonce has brunette hair and some people on the panel didn't even know that it's like a special occasion for us beehives. When we see a brunette Beyonce, that's like we we are wondering what's going on in her whole situation because that's just usually not the shit that we see. And then when they really get about to scrap serious, they talk about issues like Jodeci versus Boys to Men, or whether Tupac is a great rapper. Um, just so you know, the answer to the first question is Jodeci, and the answer to the last one is no. So, anyway, check them out I mean, I think that's gonna be I think they're gonna take over black like Twitter. I think it's gonna be a thing that you you know if you miss it, you miss it and you're gonna feel left out, so just turn it on you know if you at where it's a half hour if you're at work, just take you a good bathroom break, go into a stall, turn on the you know YouTube on your phone and watch it. Um, but it's really, it's a real smart, culturally relevant Black conversation that we need, that we lack. So we've got to support it so that we, um, can still have it. So I'm really, really about that and I really love it. Again, it's on YouTube and the Facebook Daily at 10. They say they have an after show. I've yet to be able to find it on Twitter. They say, oh, go to our after show on Twitter. I'll be on Twitter the rest of the day and don't see it pop up. So I'm missing something. But, um... That is, you know, but definitely try to check them on the YouTube. And they do kind of keep it up right away. So if you miss it, I found like one time I turned on like right at 1030. And that shows that that day's show was still right up. So even if you can't miss miss right at 10, um, go ahead and just go to the BET YouTube page and you should be able to find it. Now, lastly, just to return us to our pride conversation, and I don't want to leave y'all. Oh, hey, well, Greg said, pride shit, so then I'm just going to say – I don't want to – that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to raise issues that I think need to come up. So if you have the chance to have a dialogue with somebody about this, you know, um, you can have that dialogue, and you know some of the issues that are on stake from – uh, some of the issues that are relevant to me, and I'm sure you have your own set of issues as well. But lastly, I just want to return to a poem by another Craig. Now, this is Craig Reynolds, and I had the honor of profiling him for the Baltimore gay paper back in 1993. I know some of y'all weren't born back then. Um now he went to Howard and he was a he got a grad degree at the University of Maryland. And the interesting thing I find about him, and I find this common among a lot of black gay men, that's different from um a lot of white gay men is that, you know, he never really left home, never felt the need to leave home, and was always just kind of embraced within his situation. So this is him talking about um, coming out to his mama. He said, this was in, in high school. He said, we were coming home from a party when my mother said how nice it would be to one day have grandchildren. I said, but you're not going to have grandchildren. My mother asked me why, and I replied, you know why. Then she told me she understood. And then later, this is him talking about um, going to, um, excuse me, I need some, my Red Bull. I don't know how people be talking Islam without, maybe they get like, like you know, them ger- gerbils and stuff, give them little water drips. Maybe they, so they don't make no noise, they can just have a little water drip from the ceiling just to drip it in my mouth and something. I get thirsty, I need to take a sip. But anyway, this is him talking about him within um, his church community. I can go into a black church environment to help set up or socialize and obviously be gay. Most people, especially the women, will have no problem with it. Many of them will have already picked up some of the gay language. Sometimes they'll miss thing me before I can them thing them. It only becomes a problem when someone intrudes upon that experience experience and forces them to categorize, to think in terms of black and white. So I was looking up um, whether the brother was still with us, and I could not find any information on that. So if you know if Brother Craig Reynolds is still with us, um, please let me know. But what I want to share to you in closing is his poem, um, and this is from brother to brother. It's called The Worst of It. And I think, you know, hopefully this will hit you in a lot of different ways and that you'll be able to apply this somewhat to um, the circumstances you might be going through. But, again, Craig's Reynolds, the worst of it. But, you know, I need to pause and now I need to not only take a sip of um Red Bull, I need to put on some chapstick. You know, you'd be reading a poem, you'd be stuck together, you'd be mispronouncing something. Hold on. Okay. Craig Reynolds the worst of it death is not the worst of it for i have died before at the hands of gangs who guzzled their courage or boy men who cuddled then cuddled me to death at the hands of healers who electroshocked my brains as if they were frying eggs and at my own hands so death is not the worst of it for i have known death Gang death on the docks, sudden death in my bedroom, slow death in the sanitarium, and chosen death on my chaise. Because I have known death, I have thwarted it. I learned to avoid deserted streets, to stay in on Halloween, to ask my sisters how tricky a trick was. To distrust all psychiatrists and psychologists, and even MDs who ask too many questions. And, to be my own best friend. The worst, if it is knowing that neither street queen brazenness, nor middle class discretion, nor wildian wit and hauteur, neither being active nor passive, neither avoiding doctors nor visiting them, Nothing I have done before can snatch me from the ongoing headlight of death. The worst of it is to stand naked before death's harsh glare, which stuns like the dread properazzo's flash, once he's bre- breached and betrayed my boudoir Naked before death, the policeman's spotlight, which has caught me in flagrante delecto naked to be sun-poisoned, naked without radiation shielding. I'm reminded of the worst of it each day, as if at Hiroshima I see about me freshly blasted cage, the palest of apparitions of former lovers, friends, and desires. The worst of it is that it poisons not through enemies, but through friends. The worst of it is that there is no catastrophic moment, no zero hour flash, but that it lingers, lies, and insinuates itself worse than the subtlest homophobia. The worst of it is that I may not have seen the worst of it, that tomorrow's horror, that today's horror may be tomorrow's as a candle is to the sun and the sun to a supernova. But I have survived the worst of it before. The raids, entrapment, and pissy paddy wagons, the bashings, prison rapes, and background checks turned expose. Each solar flare of hatred and fear, I have survived, then sifted the ashes, a prospector, No fire has destroyed my best and most malleable stuff. Each time I have risen a pure gold iridescent lavender. So if the worst of it is a supernova, I will remember. When stars burst in death, dark new worlds begin. I have risen before. I will rise again. After the worst of it. I will rise again. So again, that's The Worst of It by Craig Reynolds, and I want to thank you all very, very much for listening. And again, if you could do me a favor and rate, subscribe, or share with a friend, I'd really appreciate it. Until next week, y'all know how we do it. Be cool, be kind, be creative, and in the words of my fave, If I can get my finger to that button, in the words of my fave. Be your damn self. (laughs) All right, I love y'all. Bye.